0: Why the Immaculate Heart of Mary is the Only Solution by David Rodriguez An Evening Conference from Fatima Why the Time is Now given in Plymouth, Massachusetts on October 26, 2022 In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Most Holy Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I adore Thee profoundly, and I offer Thee the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, present in all the tabernacles of the world, in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifferences by which He Himself is offended, and through the infinite merits of His most sacred heart, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I beg of Thee the conversion of poor sinners. Amen. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray Pray, for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. If somebody were to ask me, what is the centerpiece for the message of Fatima? What is the essence of the message of Fatima? Try to boil it down into as small a synthesis as you can. What I would respond is, I would say, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And specifically, our devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. This may surprise some, I'm not sure. Some people might talk about the need to pray the rosary, which is certainly at the heart of Fatima. Our Lady appears six times, and every single time she asks us to pray the rosary every day. And when she gave her name, she called herself Our Lady of the Rosary. Others might speak of the miracle of the sun, which we talked about last time. And it's certainly very important because it is the greatest miracle that has ever taken place that's not recorded in the sacred scriptures. So it really is a singular event. And God doesn't allow such miracles just for whatever reason. He has a very specific purpose. And in this case, it's to authenticate the message that was being brought by his seers, that his most holy mother was giving to little Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta. So the miracle of the son was foretold crowds got bigger each time. We had at least 70,000. Some estimates had it as high as 100,000 people there. It was seen miles away, hundreds of miles away. It was this great miracle that believers and unbelievers alike witnessed. And that really is only possible by God, especially with the foretelling. I mean, there really is no other time that a miracle is foretold as to time and place, event. There's going to be this great miracle, but Our Lady did that. So that we would believe And have faith in her message of Fatima. Some people also talk, and it's certainly very important, about the great secret of Fatima. That's what she revealed on July 13th, 1917. It has three parts, the great secret. The first part deals primarily with the vision of hell. second part deals primarily with world events, the consecration of Russia, its conversion, devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And then the third part is the part that was supposed to be revealed in 1960, and was not. And for a long time, the hierarchy in the Vatican buried that message. Really, they, they were censoring Our Lady. Kind of this cancel culture that exists. That, that's really what was happening because these contained the words of Our Lady. So there was a vision and then there were words of the Lady in this third part of the Great Secret. And eventually in 2000, John Paul II did reveal the vision, which Lucia had written on a folio a long diary sheet of paper folded in half to make four pages. And in 2000, the Vatican attempted to make the claim that this was the entirety of the Third Secret. That was it. That was all. But we also know, and it's been attested and it's been proven, that there was another sheet of paper, just a one sheet of paper, about 26 lines of text in which Lucia wrote the most, you might say, dreadful, horrific, the most difficult part of the Third Secret. She actually couldn't write it down. She said, even after her bishop commanded her to, she said there was a preternatural force that was withholding her. That, that really means that Satan was exerting force so that she could not write this message down. And it took a special apparition of Our Lady. She appeared, I believe, on, on January 2nd, 1943, and flooded Lucia with grace so that Sister Lucia could then write this part of the third secret. So in her memoir, she wrote the words, etc., dot, dot, dot. And that's where you take the little piece that was in the paper, in the envelope, and continue right there. That's the et cetera. Our our Blessed Mother doesn't say et cetera. She uses words. That is the part that to this day is still not revealed. So that's the part of the Great Secret. The third part of the Great Secret, the words of Our Lady. That's why I say she's being censored. We still have not heard her words. So all of that took place on July 13th, 1917, when Our Lady revealed the Great Secret in its three parts. I think the three parts are very interesting. The three parts really are designated as such by our Blessed Mother. She had them revealed at three different times. So the first part, Sister Lucia was already able to talk to her bishop about it in the 20s in some of her letters. She's already discussing the vision of hell. On June 13th, 1929, when she was a nun in the convent of Tui, Spain, She had a great mystical vision. She saw the Blessed Trinity in words and a vision that she said she couldn't even explain to us. I don't know if that means that she just didn't have the human words to explain the deep mystery she saw, which of course echoes someone like Thomas Aquinas when he's about to die and he sees a vision of God and he grabs his great summa, which to us is like a treasure house of theology and of knowledge, and he throws it in the fire and he says, this is no good, this is just as good as straw because the vision of God that he saw was so great, right? This summa that most of us can't even read and handle and process, and he's saying it's just so much straw, because he saw a vision of God. So I certainly think that's part of why Lucia couldn't really reveal this vision of what she saw, because human words simply can't explain the greatness of the mystery of God. Uh, but at the same time, I also think there might have been something there that our Lord did not want her to reveal, because it was, let's say, directly to her, or we weren't ready for it, or in his wisdom. So that's what happens on June 13th, 1929, and at that vision is when Our Lord and Our Lady say, now is the time for the Pope to consecrate Russia. So the Pope was supposed to consecrate Russia as of June 13th, 1929. Okay, When she came in 1917, she said, I'm going to ask for the consecration, but I'm going to come back when the time is right, when God knows the time is right. Just like she said, I'm going to ask for the first Saturday devotion, but I'll come back when the time is right. She does that on December 10th, 1925, when Sister Lucia was at Pontevedra. So those are two very important apparitions of our Blessed Mother that are connected to the message of Fatima that come after 1917 and the six apparitions that most Catholics, if they know about the message of Fatima, are more familiar with. But Pontevedra really needs to be remembered as well as then 1929 at Tui. So now the second part of the secret can be revealed. And Sister Lucia promptly begins to write to her bishop about it to get in to, her confessor so that she can get word to the Pope that now is the time to consecrate Russia. And really throughout the 30s, she is pleading and pleading with the Pope to do it because she continues to say, if the Pope does this, then the World War, which we now know as World War II, is averted. And there is no world war, but if he doesn't do it, then, then there is going to be a war, and a terrible war, far worse than World War I, which is, of course, part of what Our Lady had prophesied at Fatima. And then, of course, we know that the third part of the secret was not to be revealed by express command of Our Lady until 1960. Uh, and that's what she gets this grace I just mentioned a minute ago, there in 1943, to finally write it down after a bishop commands her, and the Blessed Mother gives her the grace to do it, but it gets sealed, and it's supposed to be revealed to the world in 1960. So this idea that it's in three parts uh, is really something that comes from Our Lady herself. That's how she has divided up her great secret. Oftentimes they call it three secrets. That's a bit of a misnomer, although it's just the way we talk. I mean, the first secret, the second secret, it's really parts to one whole unified secret. And then that's really what I wanted to get to today. I mean, what is that element that is tying all of them together? So I would argue it's it's why Our Lady came. Our Lady came because ultimately, God loves us. And God loves us very much. He has made us. He has made us to exist with Him for all of eternity. And He desires our salvation. Now, I love my children. I love my wife. I love my family, my parents, my brothers and sisters. I desire their salvation. But obviously, the desire I have for their salvation pales in comparison to how God longs to be united to us and to desire us and desires our salvation. I mean, we can't really even fathom that but he loves us. And so he wants us to be with him in heaven. And of course, as you know, the story of man, which we read throughout the Old Testament, throughout the pages of our church history, throughout the pages of our own personal history, we see that man is rejecting God. Man is turning away from God, offending him, breaking his laws, basically this great roar of a no, a non serviam, which is what Lucifer cried out, right? I will not serve you, God. I will reject you. So we're rejecting our creator. And Now, we can go into a little bit of this, but I I don't want to get too far afield, so just trust me when I say that this revolution against God, this diabolical revolution, has just intensified, picked up speed. I think now all of us feel it. We really feel the speed is just picking up. Well, I mean, it's been going for a long time, so it doesn't surprise me that it's picking up speed now, but I mean, it's going back to the time of Martin Luther, even before Martin Luther, I mean... You could say it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, certainly, but really started intensifying around the time of the Protestant Revolution in the period that people like to call the Enlightenment, but I call the Darkening, uh, with Freemasonics rise, with the French Revolution, with the 18th century being the century of revolutions, the destruction of altar and throne, the destruction of Christian civilization, the greatest civilization man has produced, what we know as Christendom. You know That was just the 1800s where the destruction of that and really the sort of the death blow to all of that came with World War I. World War I, I don't think we sufficiently understand it, but it really brought an end to what we could sort of know as Christian civilization and as Christendom. And it's interesting because it's right during that, what was known then as the Great War, that our Blessed Mother appears. Sort of knowing, like, you all have reached the end, the end of, I was just talking to someone a minute ago, what really was about a thousand years of Christendom from the time of Charlemagne, you know, around 800, Another 1,000 years, you're now at 1800, and this is when all the revolutions picked up of the French Revolution. The 1800s were a rough time. I mean, if you read the popes in the 1800s, you'll see how, how much the church is under attack. Well, at World War I, I mean, that really is sort of the end of Christendom. And that's when Our Lady comes, because now the revolution has reached such a fever pitch. It is so intense that she's the only solution. Only she can help us now. That there is no human solution left to us. Even many of the great solutions, I would argue, that God has given us, so they are supernatural, they're not just human. Things like the papacy, things like the dogmas of our faith, things like the holy sacrifice of the mass. Many of these things that God has given us, at this point in time, they're not going to be the solution. It's only Our Lady that can help us. And in many ways, it's because in our great rejection, we have been rejecting those also. And I believe that that's part of the message of Fatima, very much explaining Our Lady, saying, you know, you can't abandon the dogmas of the faith. They must be preserved. The dogma of the faith has to be preserved, although it's not going to be. There's going to be this great apostasy within the church, even at the highest levels. Our Lady forewarns about those sorts of things. She forewarned about making changes to the worship, the divine worship, which is our duty before God. We have to worship God rightly. And so she forewarned, don't make those changes, right? That's going to lead to the loss of many souls. And so in 1917, we've reached this point, And then we also have going on now, the revolution has grown so opposed, rejecting God so much that it's a full-blown atheistic revolution, right? That's really what communism becomes, We know communism starts really ground swelling in the 1800s, but it's going to come to a more sort of very powerful political moment in our world history in 1917, just weeks after the miracle of the sun, when there's the Bolshevik revolution in Russia. And Russia falls, and of course our lady's talking about Russia spreading her errors throughout the world if that country is not consecrated to her immaculate heart and therefore also converted. Once Christendom is over with, and we don't obey Our Lady, you really see what man can do left to his own devices. I mean, this is why we had World War II, and we know the horrors of that war on all sides. I mean, people like to point to Nazi and Hitler, and plenty of horrors there. I've seen a lot of movies there. But, I mean, if you studied your history, please realize the horrors were equal on both sides. There was not really a good guy and a bad guy in World War II, unfortunately. I mean, everybody involved, not every individual, But at the level of the governments, we're all bad guys. I mean, the kinds of fire bombings and the kind of destruction that the Allies, the United States, my own beloved country, leveled on the German people, many of them innocent as well, is, is really horrific. Dropping a nuclear bomb, you know, over in Japan, several, I mean, that's horrific. Those are great crimes. All sides here, the kinds of crimes that were being committed by the Russians. I mean, the slaughters that they did in Poland, and they are our allies. So, I mean, the point here is that the World War II, I think, was really just showing us the evil to which men can descend. And again, on all sides of the battlefield, it's sort of like I see the devil just in, in this malicious, sadistic glee, seeing, you know, all sides of mankind descending into this horrific evil. And, and it hasn't gotten better. I mean, in the 20th century and now the 21st century, more people have been killed by war, than in all the other centuries of mankind put together. As Our Lady of Fatima made clear, war is a punishment for man's sin. God withdraws. It's like He turns His face from us, to use scriptural language, leaving us to our own devices, and without His grace, which we reject, we descend into this barbarism, devoid of Christian charity, and we slaughter each other in wars. It is so clear that war is a consequence, a punishment for sin. You know, I don't know, if you, I mean, I get so upset sometimes, I'm sure you do too, where like the movies will always sort of show that, oh, the church is so bad, and they always portray the Catholic church in very negative lights, as if every bishop was greedy and warmongering. You have a lot of those movies. And then they talk about, oh, the religious wars and how bad the religious wars were. They, I mean, they were bad, and what they did to Europe you know, in the 1600s is certainly uh, not a good page in our history. But again, they pale in comparison. They pale in comparison to what has been done in the 20th and 21st century when we've abandoned God. So, uh, yes, man is prone to evil, sure, but at least when you have Christendom and you have the Catholic Church and you have more of a Christian civilization, the evil to which we descend to is not nearly the same kind of evil to which we descend to without God. That's, I think, part of this message Our Lady of Fatima is saying. You're now at this point where things have gotten so bad and I don't think we need a sort of course in current events right now. We we all are reading the news. We all are seeing the things happening in our church, in world governments, happening on the political, the economic scene. We all know that it's getting bad. It's not getting any better. It's only getting worse. So I think one of the very important things to take away from this is to realize, and we've got to get this message out to more people, is it does not get better. And it will continue to get worse. Worse for you and me. Worse for our children, our grandchildren. It is only going to get worse. And I don't even, sometimes I can't even imagine how it's going to get worse. But I know it will. I know it will. You know, my mind is not a spiritual, angelic one like Lucifer Satan has. So I cannot even imagine the kind of evil that he can. So he can still take us deeper into evil. That's his plan. That's where he wants to take the world. Until, until we obey Our Lady of Fatima. I mean, this is the only solution that is left. It is what God himself has said, and it is, what, it is what our Lady has come and said. So this is the only solution. So I think it's a fair question that we should sort of ask ourselves, well, well why is it the only solution? Well, what, What's going on here in the dynamic? And that's why I say, well, at the essence, at the very essence of the message of Fatima, is the Immaculate Heart of Mary. This is not De Fide. This is my opinion. I got it from a good priest who's actually put videos out for us on the Fatima Center, Father Stalen. But what he said really, really struck me. And I think he's right. We have those six apparitions. And people often ask, well, what's the most important apparition? Some people say May 13th, 1917 because it was the first one. Got it started. There's reason to think that. Others say July 13th, 1917 because that's when she gave them the great secret. We could say the main content of the message of Fatima came from there and you know, I, I can understand that position. Others will say October 13th, 1917 because that's the great day of the miracle of the sun. But I think Father Stilling is right when he says, no, it's June 13th, 1917. And the reason he said it was June 13th is because he said on that day is when our blessed mother reveals to the world for the first time her immaculate heart. So she revealed her immaculate heart to the children and she showed it to them. And... You know, we veil things that are very sacred, and so the unveiling of it is also a very sacred moment. We have that in our church. There's a beautiful theology behind veiling. You veil that which is sacred. So in the church, the tabernacle is veiled, right? The siboria is veiled. Uh, Even during Passion Tide, we veil our statues. In some ways, even the priest is veiled with the great chastable and all the different vestments, the sacred vestments that he wears. Even the veil that the women wear in the Mass is to signify the sacredness that they have, specifically here the sacredness of bringing forth life and of cooperating with God. And so it it makes sense to me that a world that has rejected life and is so deep into abortion and the culture of death also rejects the veil and the sacredness of the woman and the way she cooperates with God in a unique way that man does not in bringing forth life. But again, I digress. Uh, Here the point is veiling and unveiling. And so our Blessed Mother is unveiling. And what is she unveiling? She is unveiling what is most precious to God. What God loves the most. What is closest to his heart. And so God has really sort of like stepped out. You know, to use human terms and analogy, and so it's, it's wrong to use these words, but we only have words to use. It's sort of like with a certain fear and trembling, God says, okay, I'm going to extend this to you, the thing that I love the most. Because again, when he created the Blessed Mother, the beauty of the Blessed Mother and the joy that he gets from the Blessed Mother, his most perfect creation, is greater than all the beauty of the rest of the universe combined. I mean, if you can get all the angels together and all the saints together and all the beauty of the created world and the stars and, and just everything that God has created. And you put like on a balance scale the Blessed Mother on the other side. The Blessed Mother far outweighs it. And God derives far greater joy and pleasure and delight from the beauty of the Blessed Mother. And the beauty, of course, is above all her purity, her virtue, her humility. And that's true beauty. Having God's right order, that's beauty. And so he sort of guarded, you could say very jealously, this immaculate heart. But now, we have offended him so much... And our sin has become so great... That that's the only thing that can save us... From the great punishment we justly deserve... To use scriptural language... From the wrath of God... It's the beauty of her heart... And the pleading of her heart... And the love of that heart... And so he wants us to now be devoted to that heart... The way he is devoted... And he wants us to love her heart. And he wants us to offer reparation to her heart. Because, blessed mother, has also been so offended. And God can actually, he can take, and I think every man here could realize this, you can take a lot of offenses, levied against you. But when they start levying offenses against your wife, or your mother, or the daughter whom you love, like it stops there. That's where you say, no, th- th- this is not acceptable. Because as men, it's one of our most solemn duties to protect women to cherish, care, and protect them. And the closer they are to us, the greater that solemn duty. And so as a man, you are willing to take more against your own person than you are against, you know, let's say, your mother or your wife, your daughter whom you love. Well, the Blessed Mother is God the Father's chosen daughter and God the Son's elect mother and the Holy Ghost's most beloved spouse. And so he does not allow for those offenses against her. And he does demand his justice and his love for her demand that reparation be made to her immaculate heart. So he says, okay, all these offenses have been done. I will now extend that heart to you. This is your last opportunity. This is your last chance. You must be doing it. And she loves us so much that she'll come on our side. She'll actually, of course, be willing to offer her immaculate heart on our behalf to appease the Father. To right this great injustice. She was willing to do it at the foot of the cross. And she remains willing now. She does allow those offenses against her. But she knows that divine justice must be met. And so reparation needs to be made her immaculate heart to satisfy God's divine justice. So now that heart's been extended. That's the, that heart is the only thing that can stop all this evil. That heart is the only thing now that can placate God for all of our injustices. And that's why she now shows it to her, to reveal it to us. But it also shows how much God loves us. That God loves us so much that while we really do deserve hell and we really don't deserve his salvation, he's still going to extend it to us and he's going to offer that which he loves the most, and which is most precious. The whole goal of Fatima is that in the end, her Immaculate Heart will triumph and the Church will place a devotion to her Immaculate Heart alongside the Sacred Heart. And so the Sacred Heart is Christ our King and the Immaculate Heart is meant to be our Mother and our Queen. And those two will reign together. They must reign together. You you can't have the Christ the king reigning without his mother, the queen. And so those two will reign. They have to reign in our hearts. They have to reign in our families, in our cities, in our churches, our parishes, in our nations. And they have to reign in the church. And right now, they're not reigning the acknowledgement that we should give them. And so that's what the Immaculate Heart is going to bring. And that's what Fatima is going to bring. And that's why then, you have these three parts of the secret. The first part really deals, I would argue, with like the salvation at the individual level. So it's about souls falling into hell, many souls, poor sinners going there. And so to sort of parallel that individual salvation, of which obviously each one of us, there's one thing that matters in this world, and that's that you save your soul. So we are very concerned with our salvation, and obviously of those we love dearly. Pontevedra, when she appears December 10th, 1925, parallels that, because that's when she offers the First Saturday Devotion. Right? So the First Saturday Devotion, again, I won't go into all of it, but she basically says, those who practice the First Saturday Devotion are doing great reparation to her Immaculate Heart. That's really the main purpose of the First Saturday Devotion. It's the privileged means by which we are offering that I can offer reparation to her Immaculate Heart. And so every one of the things that you do in the first Saturday devotion, you are supposed to have the intention, the conscious intention of doing this to offer reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So I always recommend to people one of the prayers that we learned, and again, it's going to be in this little booklet of the seven Fatima prayers, is, O my Jesus, it is for love of thee, for the conversion of sinners, and in reparation for sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary that I offer this sacrifice to thee. And that is a prayer which Our Lady herself taught the children. It came from her own lips, so straight from heaven. You can't get any better than that. And she gave it to them on July 13th, just before she opened her hands, flooded them with grace, the light of God, and told them the great secret. So keep that in mind whenever you do offer this prayer, which I hope is on a daily basis and lots of times. You wake up and you're having a bad day. You don't want to get out of bed. Offer up that prayer and get out of bed. And now you've offered this up for the conversion of sinners and in reparation for sins against the Immaculate Heart of Mary because you love Jesus. You you go to Mass. You get in your car. You go to work. Maybe your child is you know yelling at you and you're irritated. You can offer all of that up. And you should. And that's why it's a great prayer to memorize. You stub your toe. It's raining and you didn't want it to rain today because you wanted to you know do whatever it was that you were going to do. Any little thing that happens in your life. We can offer all of those things up. And with that prayer, we can then make it conscious to offer reparation in our Immaculate Heart. That's what we need to be doing. All of us, all the time. But then, you know, those are like, I don't know, in my analogy, like little pebbles. You're doing them every day. But then you get the big, boulder, lot of grace. And that comes every first Saturday. So every time, once a month, Our Lady gives us opportunity to do the first Saturday devotion to offer a lot more reparation because it's a privileged time of grace. So you want to make sure you're getting that first Saturday devotion done and that when you do those four acts, it's kind of five things. You're supposed to pray the rosary, offer that in reparation. So maybe at the start of the rosary, you say, we're going to offer up this rosary in reparation to the Mac Mary. Or you use that prayer as well. And then you're going to go to confession. would be on first Saturday or eight days before or eight days after. And when you go to confession, you again offer it up in reparation. Maybe when you're standing in line, getting ready, or maybe when you got back to the pew and you're kneeling down saying your penance, offer up. With that prayer, say, I offer up this confession in reparation to the Mac and Heart. And then you receive communion on that day, Holy Communion. So again, as you go up, maybe you're in line, processing up to receive Holy Communion. Maybe you've already come back and you're kneeling down and you're talking to our Lord in those most intimate moments. Again, offer up that prayer. Say, I'm receiving this communion. I'm doing this in reparation. For love of thee, for the conversion of sinners, and in reparation to the Mac Heart of Mary. And then you do your meditation. You do your 15-minute meditation. At the start of that meditation, for example, again, say that prayer. So that's like the powerhouse of great reparation we can do and just to sort of sweeten the deal if you will you know our blessed mother again being such a good mother moms are good this way right they always know how to get their children with the things that their children like and so she does she says look if you just do five of these in a row then i promise that i will save you and nothing is impossible for her with god she's guaranteeing that if we do five of these first saturdays in a row well then we'll be saved at the moment of our death, you will grant us the necessary grace for salvation. Like, there could be nothing greater. Talk about saving us from the fires of hell, which is what that first vision was about. There, your personal salvation is really guaranteed. And so I always encourage people, make sure you do five first Saturdays and get everyone else you know to do them. Get your children to do them right after they've made their first Holy Communion. The next five months. They've got to do it. It's even possible, I mean, the same promise I don't think extends it this way because our lady didn't say it, but... But God is so good and our Blessed Mother is so good, I think we can trust them. that, you know, offer five, after you've done five for yourself, offer another five for someone else. Maybe your spouse is a lapsed Catholic. Maybe your spouse isn't a Catholic. Offer them for her or for him. Or your uncle or your dad or your son, who's a wayward Catholic, right? Offer them. But you can keep doing these five for Saturdays and give those graces to Our Lady. And just say, you know, you know who needs them. I'm really worried about my daughter. Can I offer up these five for the salvation of her soul? it's certainly, I think, a very, very good chance that God and our Blessed Mother will answer that as per your pious and selfless petition. So that's the Immaculate Heart on a very sort of personal level in the First Saturday Devotion, which is meriting a lot of grace to do the reparation we need. And then you have the second part, which was all about really the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So this is another very, very important element in which... Our Lady is asking the Pope, in union with all the bishops, to consecrate Russia specifically. So this is not about consecrating the world. That's kind of defeating the purpose. That's not what Our Lady has asked for. Our Lady wants Russia and Russia alone to be consecrated. And that's part of what consecration is. It's setting something apart. So to consecrate Russia to her Immaculate Heart, the Pope, in union with all the bishops... In a public ceremony, so it's not done sort of privately or quietly. It has to be done as a witness to the world on a day of worldwide reparation. Obviously, the reparation is very important. We've just been talking about that. The whole thing is that God is so offended because we've offended his mother so much and we're in so much sin. Reparation is essential. That's never been done. Okay, that's never been done. That's one of the things I thought was excellent in this magazine, just as a really quick sheet. That's Crusader, Issue 129, Summer of 2022, page 16. We put together 14 different papal acts that have sort of attempted to do this consecration or something along those lines. And we said very simply, you know, the seven things is that it is a consecration of Russia alone to the Immaculate of Mary by the Pope who commands the bishops in a public solemn ceremony on a worldwide day of reparation. And then you can say check or not check. And you'll see that we don't have seven checks yet. You know, we have a lot of excess. It's not been done the way it needs to be done. But it's very simple. And if you understand the message of Fatima and the importance of reparation and the central role of her Immaculate Heart, you realize why those elements are there. This is not scrupulosity. This is not just checking off boxes. This is really understanding the spirit of the message and what Our Lady is asking and what the problems are and how this corrects it all. And if you understand how the Church is in such a grave crisis right now, which goes up even to the highest levels of our hierarchy, a crisis of faith, well, then it's not surprising either why the hierarchy has not carried out this consecration correctly. Because after all, if your theological foundation is misguided, riddled with errors, then this consecration, as Our Lady requested it, with these seven elements, isn't going to make sense to you. But that's also why, precisely why, It's the necessary corrective. And therefore, God has given it to us at this time. God always gives us the right solutions at the right time because he's perfect wisdom. So I don't have time to go into all of that. I hope you're able to see the talk I give up uh, in Manchester because we're going to talk a little bit more about that there. You know, sort of the internal logic, the internal theology of the message of Fatima. But it is very important that Russia, this great atheistic nation that has rejected God in a very sort of official and formal and public way be consecrated to our Blessed Mother. Because then it becomes hers and she's in charge of it. And if she can save that country that has caused so much evil and brought about so much bloodshed in the world, and which Sister Lucía talked about God could use as a scourge to bring chastisement on many other nations... If she can save that nation, then obviously she can save everything else, right? That's part to inspire the faith. So if this atheistic country converts converts to the one true Catholic apostolic faith outside of which there is no salvation, because of this consecration that the Pope does, well that's going to take a great miracle. That's going to take real serious miracles. And it's going to wake up the rest of the world, wow, there really is power here in the Immaculate Heart. There really is power in God. This is from God. And so this is also why I tell people you're not going to have to question when the consecration takes place. If you had been at Fatima on October 13th and you had seen the miracle of the sun, you wouldn't sit there questioning whether or not a miracle had taken place. You wouldn't need a theologian or a bishop or a pope or a priest or even your name. You wouldn't need anyone to tell you a miracle took place. You would have seen it. You would have known. That's how God acts. And so when Russia is finally consecrated correctly and the great nation converts and only great miracles are going to bring that about, no one is going to have to sit here watching the YouTube or reading newspapers or hearing what this pundit or what I have to say about it. You're going to know for yourself. Russia was consecrated correctly. Our Lady of Fatima has finally been obeyed. Because you're seeing the effects. And that's exactly what our Lord said was going to happen. Because he said, Lucia once asked him, well, why won't you convert that nation without the consecration? I believe this was in 1936. And our Lord told her, in effect, and again, I hope I'm not misquoting things, but he basically says, look, I won't convert them without the consecration because I want the whole world and my church to recognize this conversion of Russia as a triumph of her Immaculate Heart. And then the church will place devotion to her Immaculate Heart alongside with devotion to the Sacred Heart. So again, we see here what God wants. God wants us to be devoted to her Immaculate Heart and to his Sacred Heart. He's the king, she's the queen, we have to be devoted to that. But that's not going to happen unless people have a reason to, to see that. And so he's saying, I'm withholding this conversion. I'm not going to give Russia the grace to convert And the world is going to keep spiraling worse and worse and worse and worse until you get to a point where you finally do it right. And then there are going to be great miracles that flip everything around. And everybody's going to go, whoa, that happened because of the consecration. And then people will accept that it was Mary's intercession that did it, that it was her Immaculate Heart that did it. And we'll have this worldwide devotion to the Immaculate Heart. And Russia, of course, will already be consecrated specifically to her Immaculate Heart. And many Catholics are doing the first Saturday for their own personal devotion. We're getting this reparation. And that's why the Worldwide Day of Reparation is so important also. Because that's part of this devotion to the Immaculate Heart. And so that's the second part of the secret. And that largely deals, I think, with world peace. Right? Once Russia is consecrated, then Russia converts because of these great miracles. And that will bring about this great peace in the world. A period of peace like which we've never seen. And that will entail many wonderful changes. Things we're not accustomed to. For example, the union of church and state. Better than it ever even existed in Christendom. Because you can't have world peace if the church and the state are separated. That's clear church teaching. The church will have to be united. No more heresy, no more schism. So East will be reunited to the West. You can't have world peace otherwise. The Mohammedans will have to be converted. You can't have peace... If a false religion has a billion adherents, many of whom would be willing to wage jihad against Christ's disciples. Christ will have to be acknowledged as king in the private and public sector, by individuals, families, nations, as king. It is clear papal teaching, and really it's the sense of the faith, that men can only find peace under the kingship of Christ. And that well, this is going to be the reign of the Immaculate Heart. Right, and so there'll be a kind of, you could almost say temporal or, or salvation in, in worldly terms. This world peace, which we all long for. And so I really think that's what the second part of the secret is really focused on. And there's reasons why the Pope has to do it and the bishops. And I'm not going to get into all that, although if you have questions, we could get into that. But then there's the third part. And the third part, of course, is not fully revealed yet, but I really think what happens in the third part is the third part is really applying this salvation, if you will, inside the church. You know, so you have the individual, and then you have the world at large, Russia as the singular nation that typifies where the rest will go, and then you have the church, salvation within the church. Because we know that the third secret deals primarily with things going on in the church, and we look around and we see that things are very, very bad in the church right now. She is the indefectible bride of Christ, so the gates of hell cannot prevail against her. But that doesn't mean things can get really, really bad within the church, and they have gotten really bad. And they're going to get worse. They're going to continue to get worse. If you're following this synod on synodality and the kinds of things that it's proposing, it's bad. The rumors are out there, and these rumors, I'm telling you, they always seem to be coming true. We've been having rumors the last 10, 15 years about what's going to happen. And those rumors are always coming true, even the rumor about like Benedict resigning. I mean that was circulating. It was out there, and people were saying, no, no." And then one day it fell, and he resigned, and you know we're all saying, "What? And now we have two men dressed as the Pope, dressed in white. We had rumors about Francis issuing a document to shut down the traditional Latin mass. And that came true. That turned And it seems the attack is going to intensify. We had rumors about a crackdown on religious life. And then that document came out that's decimating contemplative and traditional orders in a completely unjust manner. Really bringing great ruin to the church because the powerhouse of the church has always been found in the contemplative religious life. If that life is strong, the church is strong. If it's weak, the church is weak. Oh, I mean, the rumors coming forth is that they're going to try to talk about ordaining women as deaconesses so they can set the pace up for ordaining women as priests. So that's on the docket. They're talking about ending celibacy for priests. It'll just be optional. That's on the docket. They're coming, they're gonna, so they're destroying the priesthood there completely. They're trying to bring in massive ecumenism. So the, the, if you've read about the Abrahamic family house of worship they're building in Abu Dhabi, where they're going to have the Jewish synagogue and the Muslim mosque and the Catholic church there, and we all worship together in the same way, in the same space, in the same place, and they want to extend that to the whole world. So, I mean, really completely destroying all Catholic worship, really setting the stage for this one world religion to coincide with a one world government. And that's, they're trying to push after the synod, local, sort of national churches. The German church can do what it wants to do, and, you know, the American church can do what it wants to do. So, they're, they're, that's Protestantism. That's what Henry VIII did with Anglicanism and the the German princes did with Lutheranism and then they're bringing that into the church as is all this ordaining of women. That's Protestantism. They're trying to change the laws on contraception. They're trying to say that contraception is now morally okay, morally licit, that Humane Vitae and Casti Canubi and church teaching was wrong on that point. So they're trying to change that. I mean, they've been very, very silent on the abortion issue the Vatican has lately and a lot of very, very pro-abortion people have been, the red carpet has been rolled out for them there in the Vatican in the last decade or so so there's certainly problems there and then there's the whole thing where they're going to try to bless these unions these unnatural unions between two men they want to give them blessings sort of saying not, they're not using the word sacrament but blessing as if to legitimize those and, and they're going to push the whole transgendered ideology I mean, that, that's all coming through this synod they're trying to completely destroy the church and make the church unrecognizable and really set the stage for this one world church that coincides with the one world government, that ultimately is ruled by Antichrist. That is the devil's sort of master plan. I mean, we've known about it for a long time. You can read about it in the book of the Apocalypse. It is there. And we're seeing a lot of it come before our eyes. And that's why now the Immaculate Heart is so important, because if you recall, Saul has been taught, it is she who crushes all heresies. It is she who will crush the devil. And that takes us all the way back to Genesis 3.15 the very first promise God makes and the first proclamation of the gospel is he tells the serpent that she will crush your head. Genesis 3.15. I love that line. In Latin, it's ipsa contere. She will crush his head. Well, our Blessed Mother is the one who crushes Satan. And so as as Satan has gotten much stronger and he has this diabolical revolution, it's going to take the Immaculate Heart to squash him down. That's what's going to defeat him. And at the end times, when Antichrist finally does come after this triumphant reign of Mary... That is then when Christ will come again, and then the world is over. But before we get to that, we still have Mary crushing his head, and I do believe we're coming to an end of an age here, but the good news is that when the age ends, it's our Blessed Mother crushing the devil, and we enter the reign of her Immaculate Heart, the triumph of her Immaculate Heart. So there's certainly great good news for us, and there's reason for us to hope, but we have to do everything in our power to get there, and we need a sense of urgency about ourselves. And we need a certain sense of fidelity about ourselves. We've got to get more Catholics understanding this and believing this and living out the message of Fatima. And so I'll conclude just with that because I think the natural question that a lot of people will ask is, well, what do we do? What do I do? What can I do? So the simple answer is, well, realize that Fatima is the only solution. There is no other solution. And to sort of make it a very simple way for people to remember, I offer you a mnemonic device. R-C-S-O-S. Roman Catholic. S.O.S. And that's to help everyone easily recall the basic points of how to personally live the message of Fatima. I hope people don't find it sort of, you know, cliche or, or I mean, I like it. I think it's a good analogy. I think it works. I mean, that's just to say we're Roman Catholics and we need to send an S.O.S. up to heaven. Okay, so it makes sense to me. You're Roman Catholic and this this plea has to come from Roman Catholics. I mean, when I say Roman Catholic, what does that really mean? I'm not talking about Roman Catholic just in name. I mean, I'm trying to say take it seriously. So that means you've stopped offending God, which is an essential message of Fatima. Cease offending God, Our Lady says. Right? Follow the Ten Commandments. Do your daily duty. Stay in a state of grace. I mean, that is baseline Catholicism. I mean, if you're really not doing that, it, yes, you're Roman Catholic if you're baptized, but, but you're not really living like a Roman Catholic. Should. So, I mean, we've got to get that out. So you got to be a Roman Catholic. Because you've got to be in that state to merit grace. If you're not a Roman Catholic, you can't be meriting grace. You can't be meriting things. But your good works actually aren't good because you're not in a state of grace. So because you're a Roman Catholic, we already understand that you must cease offending God and you must remain in a state of grace. And then I think the SOS is very applicable because it's like you're on a boat. We know that the church is like the bark of Peter. And the bark of Peter is taking in a lot of water, just like the gospel story right out on the storm. When the apostles were very worried and they raised up a cry to help to our Lord and they asked him, Lord, save us. You know, that's the apostles uttering this SOS and they're on Peter's bark and that's what we have to be doing. We have to be uttering this great SOS to God. So there's this urgency because the boat is kind of sinking. I think of John Bosco's dream where the boat has to be connected to the Eucharist and to our Blessed Mother, the two great columns. That's the Immaculate Heart of Mary. You have the Eucharist, you have the Sacred Heart and the other column. So it makes sense to me. It reminds us that it's a universal thing because Roman Catholics are universal. We all have to be doing this. And there's a sense of urgency with the SOS. And then once you kind of have that basic understanding of why we're saying Roman Catholic SOS, we then take the first five letters, the R for the Roman, the C for the Catholic, the S, L, and the S. And those are the five things you've got to be doing regularly. So the R is for the rosary. You pray your rosary every day. So remember that R is for the rosary. And then the C for Catholic, that C stands for the consecration. We should be consecrating ourselves personally to the Immaculate Heart, and we have to be praying for the consecration of Russia, which obviously means we're praying for the Pope, we're praying for the bishops. So we got to be doing that. So the consecration is very important. Then you have that S, which is the brown scapular. The S is for the scapular. You're supposed to be wearing your brown scapular. At Fatima Our Lady extended it to all the world, signifying she wants everyone wearing the brown scapular. So wear it always and wear it faithfully. And then... The O is to offer. Offer your prayers and offer your penances for the conversion of sinners. For reparation to our Immaculate Heart. For the Pope and the bishops and the mess in the world. For yourself and for your own sins. But offer prayer and penance. And then that last S is the Saturday. The first Saturday. Every month you do the first Saturday devotion. Which you just discussed. So if you're doing that, then you're doing what you can. And you're doing a lot Right? So cease offending God, stay in the state of grace, and then live out the RCSOS, your rosary, your consecration, your brown scapular, offer your prayers and your penances, and practice the first Saturday. And if we can get enough Catholics doing this, and I'm firmly convinced that, one, we're well, going to be saving your own soul, which is ultimately the one thing that is in your power and you must do so that you can get to heaven. You're going to be helping a lot of other people too, and you're going to be getting us that much closer in what you can do to this final, ultimate triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And you'll grow in your devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, uh, and your love for her, which is ultimately what this message is about, offering her reparation, loving her. That, to me, is the a message in a nutshell. It's kind of maybe as quickly as I could do it. I'm trying to tie in. There's a lot more. It's very, very deep. But thank you for your attention. And let's close with a Hail Mary, and then we'll open it up for questions and answers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. This presentation has been brought to you by the Fatima Center, copyright 2022, all rights reserved. For more resources regarding the spiritual life, the Catholic faith, and the message of Fatima, and to support this vital apostolate with a donation, please visit our website, fatima.org, or call us at 1 800 263 8160. For the glory of God, the honor of Our Lady and the salvation of many souls, please share the Fatima message with everyone you know, and may Our Lady reward you. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us.